to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, September 27th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, before we get into the real, you know, less important news, let's talk about the biggest news from yesterday. And that is that tickets for the Broadway premiere of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child will go on sale on Wednesday, October 18th at 11 a.m. New York time. At that point, ticket buyers must first register with Ticketmaster Verified Fan. We've heard all about this before. The registration act. I know, I know all of those Springsteen fans don't like that. Um, but registration will open this Sunday, October 1st at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and will close on Thursday, October 5th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. To register, visit harrypottertheplay.com slash, slash register. But that's a super complicated URL. So just go to the show notes at broadwayradio.com for details. And then when you continually get emails that you didn't get the opportunity to buy tickets, you can commiserate with James. <laughs> I really hope they get it together. It was, uh, oof. I mean, it's I I understand the thinking behind it, and I appreciate yeah, their efforts. Absolutely. But if it's not ready and you don't really know how to do it properly, maybe don't do it yet. Yeah, the stream goes live at eight a.m. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> oh no, the Tony nominations. The Tony nominations, they're not working. They're not working. It's no, 8 30. Every year. People. Yeah, Every year. I know. Yeah. But still, and, and even at that, so, so the stream doesn't work sometimes. <laughs> that is very true. It didn't last year for you. Yeah. Could you imagine if, um, you know, talking about streams, if they cross the streams of the Harry Potter fans and the Bruce Springsteen fans? Like uh, Ghostbusters yeah. crossing them of the streams? Say never cross streams. Never cross. Never. Never yeah. feed them after midnight. That's a completely different 80s uh, <laughs> comedy horror movie. That's, Don't get that's them wet. Gremlins. Don't get them wet. That's, that's also Gremlins. Yeah. No, no, no. Completely different. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Maybe we should get on to some theatrical stuff. First up in the news, the West End's An American in Paris makes two announcements. Yeah, James, not one, but two. Yesterday, the production of An American in Paris over in the UK made two announcements, one good, one not so good. The not so good one, let's start with that one. And that is that the musical will play its final West End performance at the Dominion Theater in London on January 6th of 2018. So Londoners or Europeans in general, you have about 14 weeks to see the show before it dances away one last time. But the good news is, that that London production has been filmed for future release in cinemas featuring the original West End cast, which also happened to include the original Broadway stars Robert Fairchild and Leanne Cope. No word on when this will appear in cinemas or perhaps if Broadway HD will, will acquire the streaming rights, but I am looking forward to this one. I missed it on Broadway, and, and then I missed it again when the tour came through Orlando. So... um. It'd be nice to see. I don't know that this is a, a show that is exactly up my alley, but it'd still be good to see from the comfort of my own home without having to plop down a hundred bucks. So, uh, has an American in Paris been done in Paris? I think they did do it in Paris before they came that's, to New York, right? Yes, that's the that's where the production actually originated at. Uh, I'm. <laughs> French names. Théâtre du Châtelet. Yes, in Paris. That's where it started in 2014. Nigel Lithgow, the executive producer of uh, uh, So You Think You Can Dance, was one of the producers on that, and that's where it started. So, yep. 
You sounded like Joey from Friends speaking French. Uh, I got nothing. Okay. Uh, next up in the news, off-Broadway uh, review roundups. Yeah, we had two big review roundups come up over the last few days of major off-Broadway shows. Let's first talk about the New York Theater Workshop's production of Amy Herzog's new play, Mary Jane. As we talked about yesterday, it just got a two-week extension. It's directed by Ann Kaufman and stars the incomparable Carrie Coon. And James, the reviews? Pretty darn good. Let's start with Jesse Green from the New York Times, who said, quote, Mary Jane is nevertheless a very big drama, even if its conflicts are almost never between people. They are instead between Mary Jane and her unspoken ideas about life. That is God. To me, this makes Mary Jane the most profound and harrowing of Miss Herzog's many fine plays. But then I'm a parent and somewhere deep beneath that, a human. Your friend Adam Feldman over at Time Out New York gave the show five out of five stars, something he does not do all that often. And he wrote, quote, at the end of a great theater experience, the audience sometimes leaps into applause. At the performance of Mary Jane I attended, the response was even better. There was a heavy silence before the clapping began. 200 people processing what they had seen and sharing a moment of quiet empathy in the company of strangers. Alone, together, 10 seconds in uh, 10 long seconds of dark vultures sarah holdren appears to be the only major dissenter that was not completely in love with the show and of course she brings a somewhat slightly different perspective having come from being a theater maker into this critics role she said quote if mary jane is a saint then caring for alex is her uh, is her passion her passion play however never quite transcends it shows us her hardship but not quite enough of her complexity her darkness. It's a portrait of someone who deserves recognition, but whose story has yet to take full advantage of the power of its art form to make us see. Uh, James, I, you know, this re review from Sarah Holdren notwithstanding, these reviews are very, very good. They've got a pretty decently sized star. I don't know that Carrie Coon is um, – you know, a household name, but she's got a fervent fan base from both The Leftovers and Fargo and her stuff um, on Broadway as well, where she's a Tony nominee. I don't know if this is something that could have a commercial life, not having seen it. Um, but it sounds like from the reviews that if there are producers out there that would like to see it have a either a longer run somewhere else, say, on Broadway, that the consensus is that it could probably warn it from an artistic standpoint. You know, I always I, I always uh mispick these things because I, I've there's been a string of things at New York Theater Workshop that um that I've been like, ugh, uh I really didn't enjoy it. And then this uh invite came out and I missed it and now in listening to the reviews I wanna go see it. <laughs> so yeah. at least it's got a two week extension and uh and maybe on this week on Broadway we can get Michael and Peter's opinion on it and we'll see uh What's to be made of this? So yep. uh, we had another review for A Clockwork Orange. Ugh. How did this yeah, go? These, not as well as Mary Jane. <laughs> um, <laughs> as we've talked about before, uh, James, this production of A Clockwork Orange comes from the UK where it was there and here, directed by Alexandra Spencer-Jones. And it is obviously based on the iconic 1962 novel by Anthony Burgess. This stars, as it did in London, John O. Davies. And joining him in New York are the likes of friend of Tell Me More, Matt Doyle, Sean Patrick Higgins, and more. And James, the reviews, not so bueno. Helen Shaw of Time Out New York gave the show 
one out of five stars writing quote and i'm if you know a clockwork orange you will know why she said this well my droogs this is a load of yarbles <laughs> right now at new world stages a risable british adaptation of a clockwork orange is doing a bit of the old ultra violence to its audience put synth rock beethoven on the pa get some fit young men to do choreography that involves whipping off their tops and you will probably please some people but for those who do not hanker for Chippendale's studs doing dance rapes quick, can we have a moratorium on dance rapes? This orange is rancid and confused. Another sad example of an adaptation missing the point of its source material. Joe Dominowitz of uh, the New York Daily News said something fairly similar. At its best, Alexandra Spencer Jones's all-male version has energy to burn as it plays out on a spare black stage to a loud, nearly wall-to-wall score of original music and pop covers. But so much emphasis on choreographed movement backfires as it gets repetitive and muddy storytelling. More on that later. Even violent acts, like one with a broken bottle, emerge like something out of Looney Tunes. In the end, Burgess's dark dystopia gets sque- gets squeezed into a pulpy "so you think you can menace." Okay, I don't know. I don't know that I would watch that show. Um, but again, here is Holden from Vulture, who shows why she was such an interesting hire for that site, as she comes at things from a more um, theater maker directorial perspective. She wrote, "Quote." The result, both of the choreography and of the ensemble themselves, is to render all this violence shockingly unshocking. First, because the movement is so crisp, so crafted, and so regular, it's impossible to feel the horror of what we know is actually happening. She continues, the performers eviscerate, molest, and pummel each other, but out in the audience, our guts are quite safe from any real emotional punch. There's something overly sleek, almost glib about the choreography. Should we really be allowed to witness a gang rape without ever feeling revolted or afraid? Um, James, this is, I got to be honest, you said you guessed wrong on the New York Theater Workshop's production of Mary Jane. I guessed completely wrong on this one, (laughs) Uh, just based off how well it was received in London. And I understand that London theater audiences aren't necessarily the same as New York, but this seemed like something that would hit a certain um, cultural and emotional nerve uh, in in New York that would would resonate with this time. Apparently, I was wrong. So, not only not a first date show, but probably you don't want to take your mom to it either. <laughs> no, this is not something that I will be coming to uh, uh, with my mom when I'm visiting New York. No, definitely, definitely not. <laughs> oh, look. Some of my favorite people in the world. Danae Benton replaces (laughs) Philippa Sue again, this time in Of the I Sing. Yeah, James, when Master Voices originally announced its concert presentation of George and Ira Gershwin's Of the I Sing, Philippa Sue was set to play the role of Mary Turner. However, when it was later announced that she would be joining the Broadway production of The Parisian Woman, that left a hole in the cast. And like she did with the Great Comet, Tony nominee Danae Benton took full advantage and will now be slipping in to Sue's now vacant role. Benton joins the cast of Bryce Pinkham, Kevin Chamberlain, Elizabeth Stanley, and more. The concert will take place at Carnegie Hall on Thursday, November 2nd, and an additional performance will be had at the Tillis Center for the Performing Arts at LIU Post on Saturday, November 4th at 8 p.m. James, is the Tillis Center near you or is it on the other side of Long Island? Uh, the Tilly Center is 
in C- uh, it's on the campus of CW Post, Long Island University, LIU, uh, Long Island University. Um, it is uh, deep in the heart of Nassau County, so it's just over the New York City border, on the uh, over the Queens border in New York, and uh, it's a nice little uh, a nice little uh, venue there. It's uh, great, and if we can see of the icing there, you know, I'm hoping that they'll have warm corn muffins uh, for sale there. Have you, do, you know, do you know of the icing? I do not. I do not know it at all. So uh, one of the big refrains in the thing is, which is more important, corn muffins or justice? Because uh, Mary Turner bakes great corn muffins, which she... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Wintergreen that she woos the uh, the single president into marrying. Oh, so, uh, spoiler alert! It's a uh, it's a, such a Gershwin musical. <laughs> it's long, it's long, but it's so much fun. It is yeah. long. lots of Gershwin in today's show. Lots of Gershwin in today's show. That's a good thing. Yeah. All right, first, uh, next up, fourth up excuse me, is Vox. Why theater is 2017's most politically powerful art form. Yeah, James, actually, I'm going to go fourth and fifth here on our rundown. Uh, These two stories uh, seem to fit very well together. Yesterday, Vox.com, the the writer for Vox.com, Constance Grady, wrote an article about how important theater has been to the resistance uh from from you know the end of 2016 into 2017 uh constance talks about things like hamilton speaking to mike pence was he was in the article uh 1984 on broadway julius caesar at shakespeare in the park um as as well as a number of other things um and it's really interesting because i think we hear so much about what's going on in society right now, and and we're going to talk about sports here in a second. But you know, this refrain from uh, certain people that want to quiet other voices is stick to sports or stick to acting or you know just because you're a celebrity doesn't mean we have to listen to you. But it's really interesting to hear how how Grady kind of goes into the fact that not only is the fact that theater artists and theaters as a collective. Um, you know, company and then theater as a whole in terms of our community are using their voice and using their art form to really resonate change in the world uh, around them and to address things that they think need to be changed. And that goes into our next story and, and our last story of the day here, James. And that is um, yesterday, uh, Nicholas Christopher, who plays John in the Broadway revival of Miss Saigon, he left Hamilton to go be a part of Miss Saigon. I think he was playing George Washington at the time. Uh, yeah, so he posted um, a video of their curtain call from uh, from Monday night, and uh, and after their curtain call, they all bow and then they took a knee, which is uh, reminiscent of what many uh, over 140 football players did on NFL Sunday, uh, as as solidarity with. Colin Kaepernick, who has been protesting violence against African-Americans by police officers for the past year, it effectively cost him his job. And then it was subject to the tweets of President Trump. And it kind of erupted into a firestorm over the weekend. More player. It's it's kind of funny that the, the president actually did the exact opposite of what he was intending to do, or at least what he said he was intending to do. The number of athletes, uh, NFL players that knelt the week before he tweeted was about four to six. 
and last week it was over 140. So in solidarity with uh, those athletes, the cast of Miss Saigon took a knee after their curtain call, and uh, I, I really appreciated that, and I thought that was really neat and interesting. So we'll have a link to uh, uh, Nicholas Christopher's Instagram where they have a video of the cast doing that if you want to take a look. All right. So uh, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWVAN and subscribe to Something Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for uh, spending some of your Wednesday with us. Matt's going to take you into Thursday, and then I'll be back mm-hmm. on Friday. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.